Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur, and with us today we have U Street. Hey y'all. And Andy, Gopher Guy 05. How are we doing? So, as is our custom, we're going to start with uh, what should you be drinking. Um, I'm going to skip Andy in this one because he's got the sniffles and should be drinking nothing but Robitussin or some other heavily medicated option that will make his answers later in the podcast most uh, extraordinary. Um, But for me, I'm actually going to go with uh, anything from Barrel Theory in St. Paul, Minnesota. I've actually only had one Barrel Theory beer, uh, the name of which I can't recall, even though I just had it on Saturday. Um, But Andy brought it to the tailgate. It was a sour. It was delicious. And from what he's been telling me, um, honestly, you're not going to find too many others that are going to disappoint you. It sounds like it's a good place to go. So uh, go out, check out Barrel Theory if you haven't. And no, I was not in any way paid for that. I just like good beer. Uh, Street, what do you have? Well, if you are in the Bay Area, you should go to Oakland. You should go to Ale Industries. You should get yourself a Golden State of Mind, which they describe as the classic California tea beer. But since it has gold in the name, it should apply for Golden Gophers as well. Sound logic. Andy, uh, actually, do you have anything to say about Barrel Theory since I may have done them no justice with my uh, one sip uh, wonder experience? Yeah, that would be the uh, the MPG, the Mangan, Mango Passion Fruit Guava Sour that uh, we had this Saturday that you really enjoyed. So, uh, And yes, I am not drinking anything this evening because I definitely have a bit of a cold. So you can put your guesses in the comments right now for the uh, over-under number of sniffles and coughs that we'll have by the end of this. But I'll, uh, I'll try and keep it together the best I can. I would like to point out, this is the dedication that we at The Daily Gopher have uh, to this podcast. Uh, we play hurt. We play sick. Um, we, we do this for you, the listener. So, all right. Um, this is a weird week. This is bye week. This is, I don't like bye week. We'll get to what I don't like about bye week and how we can survive bye week a little bit later. Um, but before we get to bye week, we have an actually very enjoyable win over Middle Tennessee to talk about. Um, just some quick thoughts from everybody. I'll, I'll, I'll start off. First off, uh, as I mentioned on the uh, Great Takes Less Filling podcast that we tried out after the game, uh, Full Banana was amazing. I, I will admit, I do think that the there was a slight color difference between the helmet and the uniforms that I'll blame on the uniforms being like five years old Uh, but that is the most nitpicky thing I could find absolutely everything else about full banana was amazing and frankly the whole experience of watching us uh, more or less just impose our will on an inferior team in person was also amazing because I don't think I've gotten to see that in a long time honestly Um, I mean just because I like to make fun of Iowa and call them the inferior team, getting to do that to them in 2014 was certainly enjoyable. But literally every other game I've been to, you know, in the last four years or so, there hasn't been a time when the team we were playing was just not as good. And then we took that opportunity to go out and say, ha ha, yeah, we're going to just, you know, grind you down to nothing. Um, And that was extremely enjoyable for me. Um, Street, what, what were your thoughts about the Middle Tennessee game? I have a couple. First one's positive. Certainly Minnesota benefited greatly from Brent Stockstill being out with an injury. They also got lucky in the top wide receiver from Middle Tennessee State, picked up a knock early in the game, wasn't quite himself, sat out some plays. That was helpful. 
With that said, throughout the entire non-conference, the defense has not given up a point in the second half. And thanks to Jacob Huff's interception pick six, the defense also jump-started this game for the offense, who was definitely laggy in the first half. Fleck, in his conference call and his postgame, was definitely pretty negative about the first half play of the offense. But that defense, they're flying around, they're being aggressive, they're making plays, they're definitely transitioning well. I think we all felt as if they were going to be the strength of the team, just because there were so many questions on offense. But it's nice to see that they have, in fact, delivered thus far performances in many ways that we came to expect from late in the Sawville era. Something that I didn't like very much, at the end of the half, the way that Fleck and Chiraka have decided to play out the end of first half seems to be run one play, and if it's not a touchdown, take a knee. I hate this. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I specifically hate it this time because I'm almost positive Rodney Smith is currently nursing a concussion. He got that concussion on a hit that may or may not have been a targeting call, but was certainly an unnecessary hit. And when I say unnecessary, I don't mean from the defense. I mean Rodney Smith should not have been in the position to get hit at the end of the first half on an inside zone for four yards. That's absurd. And it's not just absurd for what it is, to quote Ron Swanson, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. If you're going to put your offense on the field and you're going to run plays and you have a minute left, you need to be running a one-minute drill. You can't be doing some inside zone. But secondly, I dislike this because it's just a kind of wanton violation of a player's safety. I wrote a piece last year that was misunderstood by some Illinois fans about targeting in the wake of like the Gophers' seventh targeting call. But what I wrote in that piece was that I certainly watch football in part because I like the violence as much as I like the beauty. I am absolutely complicit in the acceptable level of violence that we have had for football. I enjoy it. It's why I watch it. What I am not accepting is both the current efforts to make the game safer, but in this case, just putting a player in a position to get hit for no reason. So that, if that continues for the rest of the season, is going to be a bit of a bummer. But now that I've been a Debbie Downer for a little bit, Andy, what did you think about the game? You know, I, uh, I definitely agree with you on the uh, letting Rodney run the last play of the first half there. It definitely is a, a questionable thing. And now that, uh, now that we've seen the injury happen, it'll be interesting to see if... Uh, if PJ and Chiraka change the way they end halves, uh, just so they don't run into issues like this. The only silver lining I will say about Rodney being injured, not being able to play in the second half, is you got to see your first test of Kobe McCreary in a lead workhorse situation this season. We know he did it in the, uh, I believe it was the Indiana State game last year, but it was nice to see him. So, as everybody's been talking, PJ's been quoting Glenn Mason, you know, you need your pair and a spare. I think Gopher fans, if worst-case scenario happens and we would lose Rodney or Shannon for some significant time the rest of the season, can be pretty safe, realizing that Kobe McCreary will be a just fine, adequate backup uh, to either one of the two that is left, and uh, not worrying about running back depth, not that we really were to begin with. Uh, offensively, you know, there's been some talk about it on the blog today, if you've read anywhere in posts about None of us are really, really high on Connor Rona right now. Um, the 
main thing is we really don't know what we're going to get from him. Uh, he hasn't been in a position where he's had to throw tons of passes. Um, he, they've, they've been pretty limited in scope. I'm pretty sure Maryland uh, will definitely be putting the Gophers in a position of making him throw the ball because they know exactly what they have in the Gopher running game. They know that that's our strength, and they will key on trying to stop that. So I think Connor Rhoda is going to have to throw the ball against Maryland coming out of the bye. The question will be how effective will he be when you're going up against a Big Ten defense. And I, you know, he he did adequate against Maryland last year, um, but again, they sort of game managed that. He definitely did not throw up and down the field. So it'll be interesting to see how that gears up uh, defensively. So far, so good. We've been really sound. The secondary's been great. Linebacker's been great. We got a little bit more pressure from the defensive line last week, which is nice. Um, but as I said in the uh, post-game survey, I don't want to get too complimentary of it. I want to see them do this against a Big Ten offensive line, a Big Ten play calling, and see, make sure that they can do this against an offense that's not going to end up ranked in the bottom third of the uh, FBS teams when the season's all said and done. So I actually have an interesting uh, kind of ad hoc question about coming off of something that that Street said. Um, How would you, and I'll start with you, Street, how would you, um, I guess, what would you say your ideal end of half strategy would be? I know you're not um, advocating, or at least I don't think you're advocating, that uh, a you know the Gophers go into a shell. I don't. I, if, if I recall correctly, you're actually pretty supportive of the idea of trying to get points um, when you have the opportunity. Um, but how would you view that as being executed differently, more specifically, uh, that would keep it from being a scenario like what you're talking about? Sure. Yeah, I'm absolutely a fan of trying to get points whenever you can. The whole point of football is to get points. So if you want to do it, you should go out and do it. Where I think that they are going wrong is the first play is a play that is almost never a home run shot. So yeah, it's certainly possible that if the defense lines up weird and you get a good block, Rodney can take it to the house. But Rodney doesn't have Dalvin Cook's speed. It's not if he hits one crease as gone. He's going to get a good gain, but he's probably not housing it. If you're the Gophers in that situation, there's really no reason to have any play whatsoever. You should just knee the ball twice and go in half. If you are going to do it, line up in one running back, four wide receiver personnel, spread, and actually practice what is, in essence, your two-minute drill. What is your one-minute drill? That's going to be quick passes. It's going to be getting out of the bounce fast. It's going to be moving. You certainly do not get very many times in a game to simulate, to actually play that. You rarely get to simulate it in practice. If you're practicing, you're simulating against your own team or against a scout team. So if you're going to want to do it, the non-conference would be the time to practice it. And that was what was frustrating. And it's what's been frustrating for the entire non-conference is they've had the opportunity to do it. They've brought all of the starters out onto the field. They've had them run one play, which means that anyone could get injured, and then they just need the ball down. And that's what's bothering me, Chris. Makes sense. All right, looking 
looking at how we're feeling after the non-conference, it's actually crazy to think that at this point in the season, I mean, this is uh, 25% of the regular season is gone. And, uh, you know, while I certainly feel like at this point a bowl game is is likely in our future, I mean, that means basically a quarter of the season is out the door. Um, it's incidentally one of the things I dislike the most about the college football season is that even though it stretches for three months, um, for the regular season, it just ultimately, uh, it can feel like it went way too quickly. Um, and since I love college football, that's, you know, certainly a negative in my opinion. Um, but after, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, um, just trying to get a sense for how we're all feeling. I know for me personally, um, this is probably, I guess, what I expected. Um, but at the same time, I was, I think, I think A. Miller in the comments put it pretty well today when he said something to the effect of he had a non-trivial worry that we would be looking at a really bad year one. And we're only three games in and we've played not that great in terms of the the strength of our opposition. Um, But I don't think we're looking at that kind of a year. And I think that's really uh, been an enjoyable thing for me is to, while we didn't really exceed my expectations in any way, um, in any major way, I should say, um, just seeing a baseline level of competence um, that even when there are areas that I have concerns or that I'm worried about, none of them seem um, extremely unexpected. Um, You know, offensive line struggling, you know what? Not completely unexpected. The quarterback play still be the quarterback play still being a bit of an enigma. Not completely unexpected. Um, depth issues occasionally showing up as far as um, not able to get you know top line play out of everybody in the defensive secondary. Not completely unexpected. So you know that's that's actually a pretty good spot to be and a pretty good place to feel um, coming out of a a year one scenario with a brand new coach, but I'm interested in how you guys are doing uh, or feeling with, with all this, Andy, uh, you know, 25% of the way through the year. How are you feeling about uh, where the Gophers are at? You know, I think uh, you have to be happy they're three, and know, I was the lone sucker who was questioning whether they would beat middle Tennessee last week. Of course, that was a long, long time ago when I was expecting Stockstill and their wide receiver to both be 100% playing and to really test our youthful pass defense. Um, that obviously didn't end up being the case, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, I, I do like where we're at. I do think we definitely have some question marks that haven't been tested yet. Uh, the secondary depth is going to be one of those. Now that, you know, we haven't heard anything official, and we probably won't for a week, but... All indications are Zoe Creighton's probably out for the rest of the season because it sure looked like that was an ACL he tore uh, in the fourth quarter on Saturday. Uh, so you're going to have to pull the red shirt off of Ray Estes, most likely. PJ even said that in the post game. So you're bringing a kid in who hasn't played in any of the Big Ten or any of the non-conference games whose first game is going to be the Big Ten opener, most likely. There's a question mark you have to wonder if, uh, you know, Ideally, he wanted to keep his red shirt, but it probably would have been nice to get him some snaps in the non-con. So those are going to be issues. As I said, you know, Connor Rota offensive line, trying to work out those kinks. Are we going to be ready for the Big Ten season? All question marks that, you know, will be answered in time. Uh, but all in all, you're 3-0. and You are 
at bare minimum halfway to a bowl game, although we won't say it out loud, but we'll probably get to a bowl game at 5-7, and seven, worst case scenario. Um, I think that's all you really want. Get to a bowl game, you know, you're in good position. Now we're just going to see, hopefully, how we can execute when the Big Ten season comes around. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I, I would agree cosign with what both of you said. I sort of think about this question as a, a like-don't-like so far. As you said, 25%. Here's your quarterly review. One of the things that I've been far more impressed, even relative to my expectations, has been this linebacking core. I knew John Salison was going to be a boss. I knew that the sophomores were going to make some level of improvement. I knew that they would find ways to use Blake Cashman in a way that worked for him. But Rob Smith has done a fantastic job with these linebackers so far. I know they want to play a 4-3, so they're in a 3-4 with Coughlin as a rush end on likely running downs. They take him off the field. They put Kamal Martin or Blake Cashman on in passing downs. But they're active. They're getting to the ball. They're following their gaps. They're reading things correctly. Celestin's putting everyone in the correct positions. That's fantastic. And I think in order to get bowl eligible, obviously they need to win three games. But the only way this team is going to win games in the Big Ten is if the defense that we saw in the second half of non-conference games is playing all season during Big Ten play. And that's going to start with the linebackers. Yeah, it should probably start with your front four, but our front four, outside of Steven Richardson, are going to have some issues. But if the linebackers can play really well, the Govers can be in games that they probably shouldn't be in. And that's kind of exciting. Secondly, Antoine Winfield, if he's not injured, is not going to be here for four years. He's that good. And he's, he's that good so quickly. And that's, that's fantastic. I don't remember... I mean, I loved Eric Murray, but I don't remember a player, with possibly the exception of Eric Murray, in the defensive backfield who is as good as Antoine Winfield in at least the last 10 to 15 years. Like maybe Tyrone, maybe Tyrone Carter prior to that. And I think Winfield's ceiling's probably higher. So that, that stuff's fantastic. What I have been less thrilled about, or sort of what I would be worried going forward, is not so much that... Connor Rhoda's been having bad games because he definitely hasn't been. It's a specific aspect of his game, which is just his decision-making. I don't know if uh, either of you have seen this or if our listeners have seen it, but ESPN's been doing their coach's film room, and it was really great. In part, it was really great because you got four really smart coaches who've been coaching the D1 level for a long time to break down play-by-play what's happening. And one of the things that Mark Helfrich said in the version that I was watching Uh, which was the Ohio State-Indiana game, the thing that he would say basically anytime there was a passing down is a receiver would get open, and you'd hear Helford say, get the ball out. And Indiana's quarterback, when it was going wrong, wouldn't get the ball out fast enough. That's Connor Rhoda's problem. Several times against Middle Tennessee State, he had open receivers, but he waited that half second too long, the window closed, or he felt pressure and he had to move. In the Big Ten, that window's not going to be there. And that's the thing that's sort of scary to me, which is when teams make him pass, will he have the ability to read that defense, get his picture in his head, and make a decision quickly? I hope the answer is yes. He has a cannon for an arm. 
So if he's able to read defenses correctly, if he's able to get his pre-snap reads, if they're able to do RPOs, as we sort of saw them do at the end of the Middle Tennessee State game, in a way that's successful, I think the Gophers offense can take a step forward because the one thing that we haven't seen is really what this passing offense looks like. And I think part of that is they're saving it for the Big Ten, but also part of it's easing Rota in. Now that he's the number one guy, he doesn't have any room for error, and we're going to go to the point where we have to open up the rest of the playbook. So that, I think, is another sort of tension within the offense right now in the non-conference. I don't know. Do you see it the same way, Chris? Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good way to look at the the unknown uh, element. I, you know, I'm certainly not um, as good about picking apart schematic pieces or, or individual player pieces as you are, but I really like that breakdown because I think it speaks to the detail behind um, just a general unease that a lot of people are feeling. Because, you know, I don't think Connor's been a world beater, but he also hasn't been, you know, terrible or anything. He's been you know, average for, you know, what we, who we played and what we'd expect. And it's just the unknown of, can that continue? So I think that's a a really good way to look at it. Um, I know street, you specifically are pretty happy as I am with, uh, flex fashion choices. And since we like to talk about that, I'm going to quickly ask, uh, what has been your favorite flex fashion choice of the non-conference season? All those shoes, the goldie shoes. Apparently, he's they've spent a bunch of money. He's got different shoes for every game. They're going to auction them off for charity. I think that this is a mistake. Not that I don't think giving money to charity is a good idea, but I think that they should just run several hundred orders of those shoes, sell all of them for charity, because I would buy seven. Just, just by myself, I would buy seven pairs of those shoes. Baby goldie, adult goldie unbelievable what about you chris that's a really good idea i would buy seven as well my only problem would be uh would they stock them in my size because giants don't get to buy cool things like that too often um i guess for me though favorite fashion choice my, my problem is that i've liked like nine of his fashion choices and that's going to mean that i'm either going to be broke from buying all the replica gear or i'm going to be sad because once again i'm kind of a uh, a giant and not all those choices he's made are ever available in my size um, or they're available in my size but i will look foolish wearing them uh, because goofy overweight giants shouldn't wear certain things that fit former nfl wide receivers wear um, it's i know that's shocking to some people but it's true you you really should think about your fashion choices uh andy um what, what would you say though is your favorite fleck fashion choice for the non-conference you know, I think I really liked sort of that uh, that sort of maroon heathered style jacket sweatshirt pullover. I think he was wearing. I believe that was the Oregon State game. Um, yep, Oregon State for sure. Yeah, that was really nice. It's also hundred twenty dollars, so that also will not be coming to my household anytime soon. But uh, here's to hoping they ordered a whole bunch of them for the team, and the big guys don't wear them, and they accidentally go on the athletic department sale here next summer, and I can pick them up for fifteen dollars instead. Uh, I have good news for you. Um, not that I know that they're pur- purchasing for the team, but if you were to magically come into um, money that's more substantial than $15, but less than $120, I think you're confusing the really big block M jacket 
which is $125, with that Heather jacket, which is only, I say only in air quotes here, $85. Um, incidentally, I want both of those, so that's an example of why I'm going to go broke trying to dress like Fleck, because all the really cool stuff he's wearing is definitely on the high end of the Nike price line. Um, on Fanatics or through the bookstore or through Goldies, wherever you go. So if you want to dress like Fleck, especially if you want that custom suit you wore, because I'm pretty sure that was to, to media days, I think that was like $3,000. Um, you know, get your get your checkbook ready. I want to say to our listeners that we are 100% fine with donations. So if you feel like giving us some Heather jackets, some shoes, a fancy custom suit, we're more than willing to take them. Secondly, since both, uh, Chris, you and Andy, and this is a question for both of you, since you're both working men, have you adopted the quarter zip with tie in order to, to look professional? I've broken it out once uh, early in the spring after Fleck Friday became a thing. Um, the problem for me is mostly that I, uh, I'll put this in a way that's not super, I sweat easily. I'm a glistener. Um, so wearing a quarter zip on top of whatever else just makes me walk around looking like it's 95 degrees outside. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm slowly figuring out how I want to work that into my, uh, wardrobe choice. I do, however, I really would like to make it part of my travel wardrobe, um, to back to Minnesota. So I come into town flying in wearing Fleck Friday on a Friday. Um, I'd be interested to see how many people I run into on the plane or in the airport actually know that it's Fleck Friday wear that I'm doing. Um, and I'd be pretty excited if they did. Um, but no, in general, I have not made that a huge part of my wardrobe as of yet. Have you thought of perhaps having like a clip-on dicky? So you got like the quarter zip, just rock the clip-on? Not going to lie, I've actually strongly thought about that because I could with the quarter zip you could wear a short sleeve polo underneath it um, and then if you could get a, a little clip on that looked you know right with that uh, you could get away with it um, but I also don't think they make those that actually I don't think there's one that would look good that actually exists in this world and then I'd you know just be rocking um, I'd look like a 12 year old basically uh, I'll just I'll just stick with my uh my hopeful haul next summer of about 18 different team-issued t-shirts that all have some version of how on them. As you watch PJ do all these various interviews, he literally has a different t-shirt on every single time. So if they're handing out those to all the guys on the team, there's literally going to be hundreds upon hundreds of t-shirts available next summer. So get your money ready to, uh, to raid the athletic department surplus sale. So many t-shirts. They have so many t-shirts. They have logos. They have custom logos for every single event or, I don't know, like custom everything for logos that come out in their tweets. And yeah, it's it's been, I, I find this exciting. I'm sure some people, some people find it annoying or exasperating, but I personally find all this, these little details to be an exciting part of the, the Fleck era. Um, all right, so... I think at this point, all three of us would say we agree that the Gophers are going bowling. Um, I'm interested to see if you had to pick the three most likely wins, uh, not saying that they're only going to win six, but if you had to pick the most likely wins uh, to get us to bowl eligibility, which teams remaining on the schedule would you select those wins from? 
I think for me, um, I would say, well, obviously Illinois. Illinois is looking just like they're terrible. Um, and so, I, I mean, Illinois, I think, is the easiest win left on the schedule. It's also, you know, if you look at S&P Plus um, from Bill C., um, I, obviously, that's still got some preseason expectations baked into his formula for the next three weeks. Um, but Illinois is definitely the worst team out there under that we play underneath that metric as well. Um, I, I was talking about this with Andy on the way back from the game, and I kind of feel like, honestly, I feel like one of either Iowa or Nebraska, um, and then uh, one of... Um, one of either Maryland, Purdue, or Northwestern. I, the thing of it is, is that I just like it's so easy to keep looking at this schedule and still talk yourself into a whole bunch of wins. But I, I still, I'm still waiting for the year one unknowns to show up. Um, and I'd love to just mark off Purdue or Maryland as as wins. But I think both of them have shown enough improvement, even though I don't think Purdue is as good as. Uh, people are giving them credit for. I also don't think they're bad by any means. And I think going on the road, we could easily see Minnesota lose to Purdue, which would really stink because I'm going to be at that game and I would prefer to not be there um, while Purdue fans get all like, you know, huffy about beating us, which you really shouldn't do that. Purdue fans don't do that. That's, that's lame. Um, but I guess if I had to pick out of those remaining games, I'm going to have to pick Nebraska. Nebraska has looked pretty, pretty like warmed over poop at this point. Uh, and of the other three that I mentioned, I will say, um, honestly, I'm, I'm tempted. To, I think this is going to match me up with street, but I'm tempted to say Northwestern. Um, cause I actually think Purdue and Maryland's improvement have them as a better team than Northwestern right now too. So, uh, Street, who uh, am I remembering correctly? Am I picking your three teams as well? You are. Here's the thing. As I mentioned in the first podcast, I am positive that DJ Durkin is the guy at the frat party who's shotgunning beers when nobody wants to. So I'm going to be really annoyed if the Gophers lose to that team. Jeff Brome has made Purdue fun, which is obnoxious because I find myself on Saturdays legitimately thinking... Oh man, I should go watch a Purdue game right now. And that's weird and uncomfortable. I don't like it very much. But I think both of those teams have taken massive strides. And they're going to be very challenging outs. They're on the road. That's hard. Uh, Illinois. Ooh. I I legitimately wonder sometimes when Lovey Smith wakes up in the morning if he just thinks, why do I even bother? I I don't understand how that team is so marvelously bad. So that one will be, if the Gophers lose to Illinois, unless they uh, sweep the trophy games, I will be disappointed in this season. I think Nebraska has proven that their defense is haphazard at best, and Tanner Lee is really good at throwing interceptions, incredibly good at it. The Gopher defense happens to be quite good at forcing turnovers. It is, of course, the point uh, for the defense in this program. It's be opportunistic. It's turn the ball over. The ball is the program. So against a quarterback that's totally willing to dish him out, I think the Gophers have a major incentive, even more so than they would otherwise, to try and jump some routes. So I think Nebraska is a win. And Northwestern is, once again, another year where all of the Medill graduates decided that Northwestern was going to be really good again, and they're not. They got trounced against Duke. 
I think that based on the rest of the schedule, they would be the most vulnerable as a consequence. So those are my three, which do match up with yours for some slightly different reasons, but most overlap. Andy, do you agree with Chris and I, or are you wildcarding? Uh, we'll do a little bit of each. Um, Illinois, you'd be an absolute idiot not to pick right now. I mean, the Illini have just looked awful. And it's here, uh, and it's homecoming, so triple whammy. Of course, you know, if we had done this at the uh, beginning of the conference season last year, all of our answers would have been, oh, of course Rutgers is garbage, and we saw what almost happened last year. So it's it's too hard to, you know, get get too excited, but yes, Illinois, if we lose to Illinois, people will be very disappointed around here. Um, I'm going to agree with Nebraska right now. They're not looking the best. Again, it's at TCF, so I like having the home field advantage, although I'm sure there'll be plenty of people coming up from Lincoln, so it won't be quite as home field advantage as uh, some of the other games, maybe. But yeah, Tanner Lee has looked terrible for the Huskers so far, um, and you know, the question will be is as we get into mid November, will uh, will Mike Riley sort of be clenching under the job? Uh or will he be confident even though he got a uh a extension earlier this summer even that uh, he'll still be around next year. Um I'm gonna say right now I'm gonna go with Maryland as my third one. I think they've looked impressive, uh but you know, they, they have a freshman, true freshman quarterback after uh, Pigrome tore his ACL in the opener against Texas, so he definitely hasn't been tested yet. And uh, the defense, we beat up on the defense last year. It's it's definitely improved, but I don't think it's nearly as, as solid as uh, they've shown early going here so far. Um, Northwestern, if it was at TCF, would probably be my pick. But for whatever reason, Evanston's just been a horror show for us lately. And uh, especially with it the week before the Axe game, which is going to be so hyped up, no matter how the Gophers do the regular season, the rest of the way, the regular season, that Axe game is just going to be just so hyped up for the fan base that uh, you, would, you wouldn't think the players would see that as sort of an, an oversight game, but you can't rule it out. So I'm going to go Illinois, Nebraska, Maryland. I'm absolutely sickened at all three of us that Purdue did not make our lists. Purdue being good enough in the non-conference to not make our lists is extremely distasteful to me. Extremely. Very, very. And here's why. You know why? Because I had hoped, I had a, I think, I don't think I had a, a completely illegitimate hope that when I went to Purdue uh, on October 7th that my friend and I would be able to pick up a pair of tickets for $10. Not $10 a piece but a pair for $10 and then go sit somewhere really nice. And I honestly think last year's Purdue shows up. We totally could have done that, but no, no, no. Purdue had to go get exciting under a coach who seems to know what he's doing. And now all their fans want to show up and sell out the Michigan game. And I don't think that means they sell at Minnesota at 11 AM, but you know, it probably means I have to pay like, I don't know, 40 bucks for a pair or something, which is just asinine. So that's my rant. So given that Purdue has defied your preseason expectations to the chagrin of both you and your wallet, do you feel the same way about Minnesota? As we said earlier, you know, we've been 25% of the season. I mean, Andy, of course, was a, a moron and thought we were going to lose to Middle Tennessee State, so clearly his opinion means nothing. But for us brilliant people like myself who pick them to win every football game, 
the three and O was sort of expected. Do you think, from what you've actually seen the Fleck product, and this is for for Chris, do you think that this has been what you expected, better than expected? And if it's been better at expected than expected, does that mean you're revising your expectations for the season? So instead of squeaking in at six wins, maybe we get eight. Oh, the optimist in me is really tempted to revise. I can easily start dreaming scenarios um, in my head where I see eight wins. Um, the early S&P plus uh, projections at this point make that even easier, even though I know they're baking in some of last year, um, which, I mean, I don't think is ultimately that big of a bounce for the Gophers, but I don't know exactly what kind of bounce it's giving them. Um, I would say in general they're performing at about expectations. I think the play on the field has been at a level that I think would generally meet what I had kind of set for myself as a hopeful expectation. Um, There's just a lot of other stuff outside. I'm obviously really very much enjoying Fleck. uh, And I think a lot of the little things that come with enjoying Fleck have made it easy to, um, to, to really enjoy, you know, the season a little more. And that can make me feel a little more optimistic. Um, you know, Andy, I mean, are you, are you looking at revising what your, what your expectations are for the season? No, I'm uh, I said seven and five. I'm sticking with seven and five. I think, uh, you know, I, I originally predicted a, a, a two and one nine conference, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm starting to hedge my bets. Purdue is looking a lot better. Um, I can't remember exactly where else I had another another win in there that I'm starting to question, but I'll be thrilled with eight and four. Uh, I'll be okay with six and six. I'm fully expecting seven and five. So so far, I'm I'm pretty much sticking with what we got. Um, if anything, like I said, you know, I think some of the teams that we thought would be probable wins have definitely looked better than everybody expected. And there's a couple of games I thought that we were going to be really tough that now we're thinking, well, maybe they won't be. But, you know, those games come in weeks 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of the schedule. So there's a lot of things that can happen between then and now. Um, you know, there three or four times the last few years we've wished we could play Wisconsin in week 5 or week 6 because they've been nailed down with injuries and we would have thought we could have won. All of a sudden we play in week 12, they get everybody healthy again, and it's a whole other situation. So uh, I'm going to stick with... Long story short, I'm sticking with 7-5 and uh, feel pretty confident there. We're very excited about this next segment of the podcast. Rachel, who's been doing a great job covering volleyball for us at the Daily Gopher, is going to talk about the Gophers as they head into the Big Ten season. We hope to have Rachel joining us every week although her schedule as a grad student may require us to record her segments separately. Today, she and her sister are doing a quick Q&A about the Gopher Volleyball team, and I'm going to turn it over to her. Hi, guys. This is Rachel, cover volleyball for the Daily Gopher. Started doing this for Hammer and Rails, but now I'm in Minnesota for school, so doing it here for the Daily Gopher, too. This is my first appearance on the podcast. My sister is going to help me out. We're going to do a little Q&A about the season and look at conference play. 
So to start off the questions, I'll just get off right to it that what will be key for Minnesota in conference play? They just finished their non-conference schedule, so how are things going to kind of pan out? Um, what really will be important is play their outsides. I mean, Alexis Hart is solid. She was great last year as a freshman, but the question will be like how much production and consistency can they get from playing opposite of her, which lately it's been Jasmine Martin, although there's been some struggles, so they've thrown in. Kleinman, she's done well. So it's just whichever one of them it is, if they can go out, produce, get points, not make a lot of errors, that'll really help Minnesota. So there's less of a weakness on the left side, and Hart will take care of business. Besides them, who who's impressed you so far? Uh, all the freshmen have been really impressive. Obviously, Samity has came in right away, hit the ground running. She's playing six rotations. She hits a lot of nice shots from the right pin. Uh, Barnes has been great in the back row, passing, gets her feet to the ball really well. Uh, Reagan Pittman, which she redshirted a year, had a year to practice behind Tap Twins and Loman. She's really put that experience to use, which, I mean, she was good coming in from high school, but she's been great working in this fast offense and really acclimated to the college game. So you've mentioned all their success, but what about maybe your biggest concern? Uh, kind of hit on it earlier with the outsides, but also I think it'll be important that at least every night either Pittman or Loman is on, which Loman's never going to really wow you with her power, but she's got a lot of finesse. You can hit some good shots, and just whether one of them is having a good night blocking too will be important to take away some of the offense for the other team. So within the conference, though, we know it's um, kind of packed, Big Ten, pretty impressive nationwide, but... Who do you kind of see as the toughest test for the Gophers? I think Penn State will definitely be the toughest team they'll face all season. They're veteran squad. They, well, they're running a 6-2. They run, everyone who runs across the net can score points. They have three girls who can kind of take over a match, Haley Washington, Allie Franti, and Simone Lee. So you can't stop. If one of them goes off on a night, you've got no chance pretty much. Uh, Wisconsin also looks tough. They're another kind of veteran squad, and then – Six eight middle, kind of that size like Stanford had that we struggled with. That'll be tough to go against. So, maybe on the same same vein, who's maybe the dark horse in the Big Ten this year? Who has you worried? Michigan State. I like all these veteran squads with lots of seniors. I mean, right now they fill out the rankings, but going into the season, you know, a lot of teams or coaches picked them to finish fourth in conference. I think they can rise back to that level. Had a little bit of struggles, and then they didn't get to play Florida, so we don't quite know, have a good barometer of how good they could be. But they gave us some struggle or trouble last year. Should be another good match with them, and that's leading off this conference play this weekend. So to close it out, I'm going to ask for three of Rachel's hot takes for the season. Just throw them out there. All Any right. big predictions? Okay. Uh, Stephanie Samity will be National Freshman of the Year. I think the home streak will end on senior night at home to Penn State. In Rachel! <laughs> so they're going to lose their final home match, and that's going to break the streak. Yeah. All right. Okay. What about a third third hot take? Uh, going really far out there. I think he will get a red card this season. So he's never gotten a red card. Not I don't you think. Know of. Yeah. Okay. It's usually pretty chill. but So Samity's going to be freshman of the year. We're going to lose last game <laughs> at home. And Hugh's going to go off. Yeah, maybe that'll happen in the same game. 
that's it for our little rundown of conference play. Uh, there's two games this weekend. If you're in the Twin Cities, you should get to the PAV. Friday night, they play Michigan at 7, and Sunday, they'll take on Michigan State at noon. You can actually watch that on ESPN, too. All right. Uh, on to question time, which we still need a good name for. If you have a good name, throw it in the comments. We still haven't come up with a snappy name because we are failures. Um, question one, what does winning the bye week mean to you? Um, uh, we're bringing this one in because uh, Street and I were talking uh, before the podcast, and I realized we had a completely divergent idea of what winning the bye week meant. For me, winning the bye week means nobody gets arrested and the Star Tribune doesn't choose that week to drop some sort of expose. Um, probably kind of trumped up, but otherwise just generally creating negative uh, spin around the program. Avoiding all those things is a win to me. Uh, Street, you want to explain what winning the bye week means to you? Because yours makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I'm, I guess, slightly less conspiratorial than you. My winning the bye week is everyone who is currently injured gets healthy. As Andy mentioned, there are several people on the roster who are injured right now. Zoe Crichton may be out for the rest of the year, so we might be wearing a red shirt. For the people who just have knocks, who are going to be playing at 80% for the rest of the season, in an ideal world, your bye week comes around week six or week seven. So the teams coalesce, you get more knocks, and you get a break before the final push. Week four kind of sucks in that regard. But I'm hopeful that if Rodney Smith does have a concussion, that it's a very minor one and that he'll be able to play. And when I say that he'll be able to play, I don't mean he will be rushed back. I mean he will be 100% because the man's brain, if it's a concussion, is far more important than the Maryland game, especially since, among other things, we have two other backs who are very good. Even if we didn't have two other backs, he still shouldn't be rushed back. But also the Jared Weiler returns and is healthy, other people on the line. That's all I care about, partially because I don't read the strip anymore, and I think that's healthy. Except for the beat writers. Beat writers are dope. We see you, Randy. Yeah, All, and Josie, who's sadly departed us. Beat writers rock. Uh, Marcus, you too. Beat writers, you rock. Uh, Andy, how do you win a bye week? You know, I'm going to say we've already won based on what we've done so far and the positive attention. Uh, there's been several bye weeks the last few years where I've gone into bye week going, oh, okay, well, we don't play this week. I guess I should start paying attention to uh, basketball and hockey because, oh, wait, their seasons start very, very soon. This year, that's not the case. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting past the bye week, getting into the Big Ten. So I think we've already defeated bye by keeping the attention on the football program and not drifting over to some of our other more successful programs. Um, I agree with Alex. Get everybody healthy. I agree with Chris. Let's not have anybody get in trouble or do anything stupid. Frankly, let's just all make it through a weekend, watch some other teams play some football, and get ready for Maryland a week from Saturday. Yes, let us all get excited to watch Purdue beat Michigan. I don't know that that happens, but let's get excited for it anyway because Michigan fans will absolutely die. And Harbaugh will turn a shade of color that... I don't know. I don't know that it can be repeated. Also, I want people to be able to start calling this the Harbor in Ann Arbor. Um, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, the problem with that is I, I, I put earlier... Uh, 
the game actually is in West Lafayette, not in Ann Arbor, so you can't really call it the Harbor in Ann Arbor. I, I screwed that up as well. It would be more entertaining it would have been, if it wasn't Ann Arbor, but uh, the Harbor is staying moored in West Lafayette this week. I actually don't think you're allowed to have a Purdue Harbor outside of West Lafayette anyway, so that's probably also a factor. All right. Um, how are well, I, how are we going to make it through bye week? Um, you don't have the Gophers to watch. Does that change your 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 normal uh, Saturday plans? Street, how are you? How are you handling your Saturday? I am looking forward to sleeping in slightly longer. The joys of being on the West Coast is once you leave God's time, you can start watching football at nine a.m. But there's no real game that I want to see at nine a.m. So I'm going to be enjoying sleeping in, catching up on some work probably enjoying uh, the California sunshine or rain or whatever will happen and uh, you know maybe get out for a hike maybe maybe really get some fresh air that's what that's what I'm thinking that's how I'm gonna plan on win the bye week how about you Andy well I'm gonna have to probably spend it by spending time with my wife and children um, I'm sure that should be a common sentiment with many other people who listen to our podcast but uh, yeah between doing chores around the house and actually uh, paying attention to my kids so that my wife does not completely snap on me. That's, uh, that's my plans. Uh, I'd like to watch some football. Uh, I think that Wisconsin-Northwestern uh, Wisconsin game will be more interesting than people think. And then, of course, the uh, Purdue-Michigan game and round it all out with uh, Michigan State-Notre Dame at the nightcap. Uh, I'll probably be watching some of that in between, but uh, this is a working weekend so I can get ready to not really do anything for the next what eight nine saturdays i think till mid-december so uh yeah i'll be busy i'm actually going to spend less time with my child aka my cat usually on a saturday uh, she gets me straight for like 14 hours uh, as i hunker down and binge on college football Uh, but i'm actually going to you know try to do other things like golf um so I'm going to neglect my child care duties uh, and my football watching duties to go golf at a course I haven't played yet in the Cincinnati area. Um, so that's, I, I actually am surprised. I kind of thought I'd talk myself into just watching a whole bunch more football, but I decided that somehow I just needed to get myself a little bit of break, at least until the late afternoon. So here's the thing. I'm actually playing golf starting at like 8 a.m. So I'll only miss part of like the terrible 11 a.m. games. Um all right, so another thing that came up as we talked before the podcast, uh, as we got ready for what should you be drinking, uh, was a, a, a question that I think needed to be asked. Have any of us met a brewer or key member of a brewery team who did not have a solid to immense beard? Uh, because I'll be honest with you, I'm batting a 1,000. Every time I talk to, meet, or hear about somebody who is in the brewing industry, they all have beards. I'm not going to say they all wear plaid or they all wear flannel, although that seems to be like 80% of them, but they all have big beards. And they're glorious, but I'm starting to wonder if that's like a Duck Dynasty thing where they don't actually, they didn't used to have beards and they wouldn't normally have beards, but they have to wear beards because it's expected of them by like the brewer cabal or something. Um, But to get a little insight on this i'm turning to both of you and asking you uh to to state do you have you met brewers that do not have large beards street i have not i'm trying to figure out whether or not if you meet a brewer who does not have a beard 
you should think of it in the same way that when you meet a skinny chef, it means their product's terrible? And I think the answer might be yes. I think if I met a totally clean-shaven, relaxed, wearing just a simple Oxford shirt with no beard, I would think, your beer is terrible. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to come up with a counterpoint to that, but I'm struggling because, I, like I said, I'm batting a thousand. So that, that, that logic holds pretty true for me. Uh, Andy, what's your opinion on the beards for your experience? I'll ruin it for all you. Yes, I have met a few brewers that are clean-shaven and do not have any facial hair, and they do make good brews. Uh, Insight Brewery here in the Twin Cities, Elon is one of their head guys. Uh, and he is a clean-shaven man, and they make some very good things. Also, just to make sure that we're sliding it in and not making the assumption that women can't make good beer. Women can make very good beer, and yes, all of the women brewers I have met are beardless so uh just speaking for for street and chris they're not assuming that women can't make beer uh women can make very good beer as well there are several women-owned breweries here in the twin cities that uh, are doing just fine what is your favorite women-owned brewery andy uh one of the ones the twin cities now of course you're urban growler there we go i had to think of it for a minute urban growler uh right sort of a uh the Raymond 280 area in St. Paul that is a, uh, a women, actually owned by a lesbian couple, uh, and they make very good beers there. Uh, really good food there, too. Really good brew pub. So that would be the one off the top of my head, but uh, I, I know there are multiple other ones out there. Well, we at The Daily Gopher firmly believe that for you listening, you should also get out in your community, support some local-owned businesses if you enjoy drinking, Support a local brewery. If you don't enjoy drinking, support some other business of your choice. I second you, Street. Get out there. Uh, use your bye week. Enjoy your local places. Um, but also use your bye week to get ready for next week's podcast. We'll be back again next week. Uh, and in the meantime, go Gophers. Sky Yuma, row the boat.